First Strike. Before we start the show, that plug our sponsor, FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. Right now, we've got a promotion up to 40% off high-end cards. So these are really, basically really, really expensive cards. We're talking about Black Lotus. We're talking about a lot of dual lands. Some of them are 40% off. So if you've been saving up or looking to buy some of the most expensive cards we have in the game, go check it out. Go to faceofacegames.com. Click on the front banner, and uh, you'll be able to see all the cards and and all the regular prices and and all the savings that you can get. Uh, And again, join the Facebook page, like it. Uh, There's always a weekly contest where we give away $50 store credit. And uh, again, don't stress enough, we've had repeat winners already, and that's how easy it is to win. And then you can use that $50 to buy whatever the weekly special is. So uh, enjoy. Um, and uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Really appreciate it. And uh, we had an exciting, exciting weekend uh, that just passed us. A lot of exciting stuff. Some sad. Um, my friend, BDM, Brian David Marshall, has moved on uh, to other endeavors. We don't know when he'll be back. Uh, but uh, sad that we won't be able to see him as a mainstay on the Mythic Championship. Uh, he, he's someone, like, everyone's been writing uh, how they've touched him, uh, how he, they've been touched by him. But for me, it was, like, if you go to manadeprive.com, all the way to, like, the very first page of content, he was the first interview I ever did. And it just goes to show how he treated everyone uh, like, I was nobody at the time. I still am now, but at the time, like, no one knew who I was, and he was willing to take some time uh, to do an interview uh, at a pre-release with, with someone you know, for, for his little blog. So he gave everyone time, so I really appreciate him. And uh, I don't know about you guys. Well, we got Andy, Derek, Elliot in the house. I don't know if he, he meant anything to you guys, but for me, he meant a lot. And uh, just just someone that's always been friendly with me. Of course, he decided to willing to host top eight podcasts on managedprod.com. That's on magic.faceofacegames.com with Mike Flores. So I've been friends with those two, but I, I've just seen him be uh, so kind to, to every player. And he did some excellent interviewing this past weekend and couldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss that guy. Yeah, he was uh, he was obviously like very important for Magic. And if you watch the like the enter the battlefield with him, it sounds like he was like very important for like being like the underground tournament organizer who like started it all, sort of. So it sounds like he's one of the most important people to ever happen to Magic. I uh, I had an interview with him once. I don't know how many people have seen this, but at the end of round seven of. Pro Tour Amonkhet, which was my first PT, um, he like pulled me aside and saw that I was six one, and was like, well, "I know this is your first PT. I want, and you're a Moto grinder. We know like your your Moto handle. You won the Moto PTQ to get here. Is it cool if you do an interview with us?" And that was really cool. The interview is actually incredibly embarrassing. So uh, if you really want to watch a cringe factor of a small ginger boy at his first Pro Tour. Uh, go to the end of round seven at Pro Tour Amonkhet. And if you don't want to see me embarrass myself, don't do that. But yeah, BDM, BDM was pretty sweet to a lot of uh, newcomers and old 
old comers, I guess you would call it, alike. <laughs> I love it. Um, so this past weekend, the whole big thing was Smithing Championship. Um, our boy, Elliot, uh, called a shot. Didn't get there. I was really, I was really excited. He was really confident uh, because we had, they had announced more details about how to qualify for these Mythic Championships and uh, how many points first place was going to get. Didn't get there. But, Elliot, let, let's talk about your deck choice. Like, you, you, on, this, on the last episode, you were off mono blue because you were losing a lot with it. You tested with Saltai. What did you end up with and why? Uh, so I actually did end up playing Saltai. Uh, I had some unfortunate flight issues on my way there. My flight was canceled, so I... I blindly trusted Sean Dollywall to register my deck. I said, I'll play whatever you want me to play. Uh, and, you know, I ended up landing and getting to our Airbnb after Deckless reduced. So he really saved my life there. Uh, we, we ended up playing Saltai that was very, very close to the list from the Grand Prix the previous weekend. We, you know, changed some sideboard cards with what we had expected the meta to adjust. And, at the end of the day, even though my result wasn't that good, I'm I'm really comfortable with the with the list we submitted, and you know I would if I if I were to run it back, I wouldn't play mono blue or anything. I would just run back Saltai. Uh, Sean ended up going I think ten six or nine seven, you know mostly winning and constructed. Another guy that we tested with, Mike Van Vals, ended up eleven fiving to hit silver and Q for two Pro Tours, and he was a couple of cards off from what we registered. So, you know. Based based on my uh, my mental state last week on the show, and I was in the middle of my desperation testing, uh, I ended up being really happy with the deck. And um, you know, bit of unfortunate luck on the weekend, but I've definitely run it back. Going forward, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. It looks like some of the teamer decks are just beating up on Saltai, so that was a really sweet face to face team deck. Uh, so maybe that's something to look forward to. What was that? The one of the only surprises uh, when it came to standard, Elliot. Uh, at least in terms of like making a large splash, I think it was. Maybe people weren't expecting as much for the blue red Drake decks to to come back the way they did, but uh, obviously um, LSV and Team Genesis, those both those groups ended up playing different uh, crackling Drake decks, so. Maybe a bit more of that than people expected, but really just team face-to-face taking that teamer reclamation deck. I think, I don't know how well Pascal ended up doing, but I know he was 5-0 on day one. I know that Edgar, I think, 4-1 day one as well. Uh, you know, so some really good finishes out of team face-to-face with that deck. I And I've just been following along with people trying to make the final push into the top eight of Mythic today. Uh, you know, in a couple hours, we have the cutoff. And I've seen Corey Bowmeister play the deck. I've seen just so many people picking up this deck that Edgar and the rest of Team Face to Face kind of spearheaded into the format. I think it was originally built by Dom Harvey, who had a ton of SCG success. So um, I know they were really confident with it, and clearly people agree. So you, it started with draft, right? And, and you had a rocky start to, to the day? Yeah, so I got a, a message from my friends, you know, a couple people wishing me good luck and uh, hoping I open like all sorts of bombs. And I told them I'd, I'd be at my most comfortable if I was playing like a 15 land aggro deck. And at the end of the draft, I had a 16 land aggro deck. So I was, I was Rakdos, I had some pretty good cards. I had uh, three Blade Brands, which I think is like 
just one of the best cards you can have in Rakdos. Traditionally, these sort of aggressive creature decks in any draft format just get brickwalled by the time the green decks start playing their big creatures or other decks as well. And Bladebrand just, you know, lets you bypass all of that, especially with Footlight Fiend. I also had a Judith the Scourge Diva in my deck, so I was looking to do some comboing. Uh, and I finished the draft 1-2, which is a little disappointing. I really thought I could 2-1 with the deck, uh, but it just sort of flooded out some inopportune times, had a couple mulligans, but uh, I wasn't too, too unhappy. You know, it's like the Pro Tour is hard at the end of the day. Um, w- I would have liked to 2-1 or 3-0, but my pod was pretty good. I, I played against Ben Whites, and Reed Duke was also in my pod. So, um, you know, not not getting the 2-1 I wanted is a little de- upset. It was a little upsetting, but, you know, I wasn't too, too discouraged. Um, what, what really was beating me up is I was terribly sick. I sort of pulled the short straw on her Airbnb, and I was sleeping like right next to this industrial heater. So I, I, I woke up like ten times in the middle of the night, and just all of day one, oh god, I was a migraine, and my whole body is sore. Uh, so you know, not to make excuses, but that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we we had talk, I wanted to pick your brain on on your opinion on draft uh, before you left last episode because uh, there were comments I talked about how Robert Lombardi and David Rude t- mentioned how uh, the champions are too strong. They wish there was some sort of naturalized. Uh, do you feel that way after after playing at the highest level that the uh, the format's kind of unforgiving or or do you think there is some play there? I think for sure the the enchantments in this set are just way too strong relative to. Uh the disenchants that we have like the only the only really accessible one is the white common that i think scries one um but outside of that if you're looking to destroy an enchantment you have to have sunder shaman which is really hard to cast uncommon or the green rare that is just really bad and destroys all of them makes three threes so the fact that we're looking at a set with ethereal absolution at rare which is an absolute bomb um even like the pacifism that's in blue white is quite strong slime bind is quite strong uh just the entire blue white archetype sort of relies on these this enchant based removal with the two i just mentioned uh you know ill-gotten inheritance is a card that like really really sort of sucks but the fact that it's just always going to deal eight plus damage because it's impossible to interact with uh just makes it you know a card that put in put into any other format is embarrassing to play just makes it so so strong um so i think that's that was definitely an oversight by uh by wizards not including at least one other disenchant in green or something like that just because like if you put ethereal absolution in my opinion in a a set that has like good disenchants it's not nearly as good as it is now you play ethereal absolution in your deck and it's just always going to live you're always going to win the game same thing with captive audience these enchantments are just like unbeatable and there's no way to deal with them. Um, I, I saw, I, I caught a bit of the coverage for, for one of the first rounds. I saw Sigurus win with a, with a build deck. Um, is that a common strategy in the format? Uh, the blue white, like control mill deck is what I believe the best draft archetype possible. Um, it's just so hard for any of the other decks to interact with because outside of specifically clear the mind or like their own copies of clear the mind or counter spells, there's no way to stop like the engine churning of just continually clear the minding yourself. You just have such 
powerful inevitability. Um, and especially like the cards that go in this blue white deck are just bad everywhere else. You know, you have people drafting like all of the, the walls of lost thought, all of the, the counter spells that mill three um, outside of the blue white removal spells. Just nobody wants the cards you're playing. So you're going to get every single wall. You're going to get uh, every single clear of the mind. You only really need two. Uh, and just the deck is just really easy to come together. I think Chillbringers at its best there, and Simic kind of sucks. So you're going to get a lot of Chillbringers. Uh, and the deck's just inc- incredibly powerful. The only, the only problem is that it's, it's sort of built in a way that it's going to get all the cards. But that leads to the deck not really being able to support two people. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really recommend like forcing it by any means. Uh, and it's definitely something that you have to be experienced with the format to end up in. I definitely didn't have... I was too big of a coward to try to draft that deck at the Pro Tour. <laughs> All right. Andy, let's go to you. Uh, you went down to Cleveland as well. What was, what was your plan for, for the weekend? My plan was just to play in the Saturday PTQ and the Sunday PTQ. So I, uh, I guess I'll talk about them. So for the Saturday PTQ, played Modern. I played Is It Phoenix, uh, just almost exactly the same list I ran before, except with two main deck surgicals and uh, one gut shot as the free spells. And one thing I learned really fast is that surgical is an awful card. <laughs> it is so bad in the main deck. It's only good in the mirror, really, and against Dredge and everything else. It's just atrocious. So I would certainly go back to playing just one main deck surgical if any, would be the first change I make to the deck for sure. Holy crap, was it bad. And uh, I ended up going 4-1 in the PTQ, but I lost the first round, so no hearts were broken in that one. And uh, then for the second day, it was sealed, and then I kind of just looked up some things, tried to remember what all the practice I did for the sealed format. And then uh, after the six rounds, I had only... So I went... 3-2-1, and one, I think. I think I drew the last round just to prize split and leave. And every single game I lost, I lost to an enchantment. Every single game. I lost to Theater of Horrors on turn three twice. I lost to Double Ill-Gotten Inheritance into Ethereal Absolution twice. I lost to another Ethereal Absolution. And the blue enchantment that can tap your tap creatures and draw cards, I lost to that as well. Just every game I lost, I lost to an enchantment. And then I, was, I looked at my pool. My pool has zero ways to kill an enchantment in every goddamn card in my pool. Every color. All of them. I was playing five colors in my deck. If I, or uh, No, I was playing four colors in my deck. And my, my deck was very good. I also had an ethereal absolution. And I had a mass manipulation as well. I had a very good deck. But I just kept getting absolutely slaughtered by these enchantments. And then I had mine mortified a couple times. Just someone was lucky enough to open Mythic Rare Disenchant. So I really hate this format. I had a very bad time because it's just like when facing down an enchantment as powerful as these ones and having no answers to them other than like to board in some counter spells and hope you get under them, it's just so demoralizing to play against these things. So I had a very bad time. <laughs> All right. Um... That's sad to hear. I think you were you were a little you were, you thought the format was a little bad last week, but 
Didn't hear, didn't hear, now I hear like the pain in your voice, man. So. Oh, I, I remember it all. It all came flushing back to me when my <laughs> opponent played Ogron Inheritance on four and five and played no other creatures. And I was just like, wow, I'm dead. I'm stone dead. I'm dead. I can't race this. I can't beat this. I play a creature that kill it. And it's like every removal spell is more like a lightning helix because like as the game goes on, I'm just going to get helixed again. So it was just so brutal. <laughs> Uh, Elliot, uh, as someone that, that qualified for the Mythic Championship, how did it feel to have uh, a Magic Fest on the same weekend? Good? Bad idea? Your take? Uh, so it was really sweet because I got to go next door and play the PTQ on Saturday after scrubbing out marvelously of day one. Uh, and I think it was actually just really sweet in general because there was just like so much going on. Uh, they they ended up having like the Pro Tour or the the Mythic Championship and the Magic Fest like in separate rooms but next door to each other uh so like things didn't really mix so much on the friday but come saturday and sunday there were people kind of like streaming in between the two rooms you know checking in how their friends are doing in the mythic championship going back to their round and whatever event they were playing you had um i think i think there were 46 people with three buys that were that played in the in the uh in the grand prix sorry and you know, not, I don't think all of them ended up playing. I know uh, someone I know was paired against Reed Duke and handily slaughtered him in 10 minutes as Reed Duke went on to top eight the Pro Tour. Uh, so not everyone, not everyone showed up, but I think it was like a really great option where your, your weekend's kind of sunk if you don't day two the PT. Like, yeah, you can watch and it's, it's a lot of fun, but that was sort of just even more amplified by the fact that you could go hang out with your friends that were coincidentally there for the Magic, for the magic Fest uh, and still watch the Pro Tour and still be invested in the players that are there. So I think, I think it really added a lot. And I know that it was, you know, just a ton of fun to be checking in on my friends that are coming back and watching pro tour coverage on the Sunday. Right. That's sweet. Sweet to hear. Um, I hated it. You, you hated it. <laughs> I, I hated it. I had no clue what was going on in the pro tour the whole time as I'm in this other room. And I love Pro Tour coverage. It's so great to get to watch Pro Tour coverage when, like, the best of the best are commentating. You get to watch sweet players. You get to see, a new, like, uh, what everyone's playing in a standard format that is really interesting. And I really want to see. You get to see what the pros are drafting and if they found an archetype that they think is perhaps one of the best, like they did with the blue-white uh, Clear the Bind decks. But instead, I was just sitting in a, a PTQ that started at 3 p.m., a room over from from all the things I like to do. I like to sit around at home and watch the Pro Tour all weekend, but instead, I didn't get to do that. I basically knew nothing about the Pro Tour, and eventually I was like, oh, like I, I, Autumn Top 8, that's incredible, because I saw them come out just like crying and really happy about their, their intentional draw, and that was the first I knew of anyone doing anything. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. I get the appeal. Maybe if they were in the same room where it was like more accessible, more like reasonable to like walk out there and not like miss your round because it was in a whole different room to like check it out. But as, as it was, I didn't see the value in it. I see the value for the players in the Pro Tour who don't day two. Like it's great for Elliot, no chance of day two and gets to play in all these events at the, at the, the Magic Festival. So like I get for him, this is like all upside. Not for me though. I imagine Derek, for you, it's going to be awesome to ha- to have a Magic Fest at uh, what is it, London? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I might not even play it, depending on the format. I might just go hang out in London. Like, oh. yeah, I just, the one thing, like, I oh. maybe I'm different than most people, but when I'm really excited to go to an event like the Pro Tour, and I don't do well, I do not want to play Magic anymore. I do not want to touch a Magic card. I do not want to see a Magic card. I want nobody to talk to me about Magic for literal weeks. So, like, I might just never go back to, like, the event hall if I don't make day two and just go hang out at the Big Ben or something. See the Queen. What's up? <laughs> um... All right, so we won't be expecting you at the at the Magic Fest. Should you scrub out? Well, I'll, I'll be at the Magic Fest in the Pro Tour. I'll be at the Pro Tour of the Magic Fest. I'll definitely I'll definitely be making day two. Don't don't you worry about that. Okay, let's go, let's go back to uh, standard a little bit. On Burchett ended up um, winning with Mono Blue. Um, of course, we've talked about on this show how. Uh, the the congratulations to her of course uh, to them of course and uh, we know of course on this show we talked about how the the, the top eight doesn't really represent the best decks in uh, standard moving forward as Elliot has has mentioned some teamer that didn't even end up making uh, the top eight and uh, a friend of the show Shaheen was uh, all the way was sixteenth with three rounds to go and. Uh, was almost able to make some noise if everything went their way. Unfortunately, he, he ended up losing the last three rounds, but uh, he was playing his own brew. Uh, so, were you, Derek, were you surprised to see uh, Mono Blue take it down? No, uh, not at all, really. I think um, uh, everything about the top eight was something that was predictable i didn't exactly predict it but i wasn't surprised i think maybe the biggest surprise was that lsv uh top eight with drakes because i think that that deck is one of the worst position decks in the format although it is exceptionally good against mono blue um i don't necessarily good think it's good against saltai which is the most represented deck there uh although i think he did five one or six oh limited so uh that might be why he made top eight um, I think that Autumn is, if not, they are in the conversation for the best mono blue player. Like, I know Autumn won their RPTQ with mono blue to qualify for the next PT anyways, I think it was, and had just been playing it a lot and know it. So I'm not surprised that they won with mono blue. I'm not surprised that they were crushing people with mono blue in the mirror and in the rest of the field. Um, that's what we should expect at a pro tour, right? Good players playing good decks. Well, um, I don't know if that means mono blue is the best deck. I think everybody sort of knows that it's a good deck now. Uh, I think it definitely still has some inherent flaws in in the way it's built, it was compared to Delver quite a bit, but it is nowhere near the same power level, I think, but still on the same, like maybe relative to the format. Um, it may be, I, I don't know how you quantify that really, but I do think the deck is good. And I think that has a lot of play to it. Um, so yeah, not, not surprised. 
pretty happy with the result. Felt like it was a good pro tour. Yeah, Autumn, multiple back-to-back national champion, um, back-to-back English national champion, Platinum Pro, first-ever Mythic champion. Um, and when you were watching them play, you just felt like they were playing really, really solid. And on Twitter, you, you had nothing but compliments. Um, on basically the level of skill that was displayed uh, throughout the top eight, seemed to be overall lots of lots of there was uh, there's one specific play I think I remember um, I think it was the finals where it's it's Ichikawa is the opponent right in the finals um, Ichikawa has like a Lyra in hand and they thought erasure autumn and see I think it's essence capture disable stroke along one one of the two and a couple turns later, cast Lyra, and Autumn disdainful strokes it instead of Eshin's captures it because Autumn decided that they couldn't beat uh, Thief of Sanity. But if they read Ichikawa wrong, and Ichikawa has uh, a Teferi, the, the, the entire pace of the game changes. So the, the in-depth thinking that had to go on in the finals in that specific like three or four turn sequence for that to happen is so immense right you're most people even at the pro level aren't going to make that let alone people below that level i think like that that really showed how well autumn knew the intricacies of the um oh ellie's telling me that autumn journey gate i didn't i didn't get that but I don't know. Somebody explained to me that that they they just they made like this choice that would inherently seem incorrect, but I guess if they drew negate. Never mind. If that's what happened, now I look stupid. But <laughs> I mean, Autumn still played incredibly that game five. A lot of people point to things like Ross Merriam versus Patrick Sullivan, where if you want to learn Legacy Burn or just Burn in any format, you have to watch that game. And this is absolutely the case for game five of the finals here, where if you have if you want to play Mono Blue or you want to beat Mono Blue, you have to watch Game 5 of the Finals because it was so masterfully played by Autumn. We were in the Spectre area at the, at the Pro Tour um, watching on the little screen they have, and I think I, I, we looked at Autumn's opening seven, and we, we were like, this is the nuts. How can they lose? It was like Siren Storm Tamer plus a Curious Obsession that a Spell Pierce uh, and more Counter Magic up the chain. And we thought that was it. The, the Pro Tour is obviously over because they're going to finish. Just roll them. And then they didn't play the Curious Possession until turn four. And, and our mind was blown every turn that passed without them casting it. Because it seems so obvious, just Curious Possession, your creature, when you have a Spell Pierce up, how do you lose from that scenario? But they realized that if their opponent just plays a Thief of Sanity, then they're trading off their Terra Manor in a really bad spot. And so they just held up Essence Capture forever. And they just finally got to a point where they're happy to play their Curious Obsession, having passed on drawing, like, three cards, and y- um, Yoshiro Ikawa, I think is his name, had a Thief of Sanity, and the game just plays out totally differently, and Autumn probably loses if they make the default play of casting Curious Obsession. It was just, you know, between, I think, game three and game five, just incredibly well-played magic, 
I haven't got a chance to see their series against Reed Duke, but I've heard that was incredible as well. So definitely if you're looking to play Mono Blue, watch the top eight matches that Autumn played. They in the interview with BDM and, and they were interviewed by BDM each each of the days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Autumn talked about how um lots of lots of games were played with that deck. So lots of experience were, were behind uh, those plays. Um, okay. Uh, a topic, speaking of the, the top eight was actually loaded with names that we recognize. We had Reed Duke, who some were cheering for to win his first pro tour. We had LCV back, yet another pro tour top eight. Uh, friend of the show, Alex Magelton made it. Uh, Marcio Calvario also made top eight. Um, and then uh, Spencer Howland, friend of the show, wanted us to talk about this. Uh, and, and it was, Small debate. Uh, Andy and me are used to it because we listen to first take all the time, all the GOAT conversations that uh, seem to dominate. Uh, is Michael Jordan better than LeBron James, etc.? cetera? Uh, at what point does LSV surpass Kai and John? What's your take, Andy? What's my take? Uh, well, it's, it's our job to cover this, remember. It's our job to say who's the greatest of all time. And... Uh, I would say, uh, so it's so hard because I never watched Kai play, so that I'm just going to be so full of recency bias, it's just going to be outlandish. It's like, I feel the same way like with like LeBron versus Jordan. It's like, I always want to say Jordan, and I, or sorry, LeBron, and think it's not close. But then again, I didn't watch like Michael Jordan just like win six rings, which is just obscene. And I'm not sure he could do it in this era. <laughs> and so this thing is like, do I think Kai could win eight pro tours in this era not a chance there's no way he could win eight pro tours in this era but at the same time that doesn't diminish what he was like maybe is the greatest of all times like the best player ever like the best mind ever or are they like the best above everyone else in their era is like that what makes someone the greatest because even though um the players are all better now he, he also didn't have a lot of the tools that everyone else has like people are supposed to get better over time at things and it's only natural that, like, as time goes on, the the next person up is going to be better than the people before. So, like, do I think Kai was that much better than everyone else in his era? He was probably more better than everyone in his era than anyone is in the current era. But I think that there's the players now just should be better than Kai. Like, the best of the best now should be better than, than Kai. So I think LSV is probably better than Kai was, but I'm not sure there's like the gap between Kai and everyone else is not like the gap between LSV and everyone else. So it depends what you think of the greatest of all time. Dude, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Kai is like, it goes like Kai, small margin, (laughs) Finkel, pretty big margin, like LSV Nassif. And they're like in the same realm. And then you could probably put, uh, Paulo, PV, yeah. PV directly oh. out. Like, I would say, like, maybe switch Nassif and PV. Wait till you hear Elliot's top five. Man, like, if you don't put Kai as number one, you're insane. It's, it's just, like, it's, it's not generally close yet. Like, Kai won seven Pro Tours out of the ten he's top eighted. Two of them were in a row. Like, LSV has 10 top eights, 
and there's only one what two <laughs> like you, you're telling me you fired there you, the thing is you can argue that like your record in top eights is is like a super small sample like i understand like i i still think it is a strong argument for kai his record in top eights but like the fact that like a couple top eights swing differently or a couple matchups in top eights swing differently and we have a complete different history man i don't like, i don't like to just write it on that it's 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 like it's not even that like play skill was different it's it's the idea of information was different the internet didn't exist the way it does now so like when we look at these top eights all of these deck lists are relative to what is known information they have these super groups that are testing if you go back to when Kai was winning these pro tours, what let me, I have it here in front of me, Chicago 2000 to 2001 and Barcelona 2000 to 2001, they were making their own deck lists. These guys are from Germany or Europe. They didn't have these like these big stores like the United States did, like in New York, where they were basically harboring the pro tour. Like it's, it's just a completely different atmosphere. And we just have no idea. I've talked with Rude multiple times about this, and he just says, like, people who think that Kai is number one are insane because he was so dominant on the Pro Tour during that, like, seven-year period that it would not be close. Even if you, like, have LSV, who has, like, a longer career, it's kind of just was hitting so much in such a small period of time that if he, like, focused and stayed on the game, he would just be, like, blowing everybody else away still. I feel like we're hitting on the the same thing I was talking about, like with with eras being different. Like it's not that fair to compare people because, like, even Kai, as Kai was then, now if he was just as talented and just as smart, uh, like now. Not that I'm saying he isn't, but now he's not going to win as much as he did before. Just like Michael Jordan could never win six rings. Like with like against like for, for example, if you look at LeBron, LeBron <laughs> is facing the best team of all time in basketball. And is it fair to diminish like from him as an individual? And that's what one of the big arguments because he's facing the best team of all time. I think the errors are so different. Like Kai was so far above everyone else at that time period that he like appeared to be so incredibly dominant, and he was incredibly dominant. But I'm not sure. That all things being equal, that's why it's so hard to compare. And that's why these debates are so interesting is because you can't possibly know. I just, I just think like, even, even if we can't quantify it, if you just look at strict numbers, Kai is ahead. And then if, if you look at, if you talk to people who are playing during that era, like Kai's just absolute dominance. Like they were breaking the mold and and you don't hear that about many players anymore. You don't hear, especially in a, a non-information age, like it, it's so different that, that these guys were just hitting the mark over and over and over again when there wasn't the same sort of flow of knowledge as there is now. To me, that's what really puts Kai ahead of everybody else was he was breaking the game when, when nobody else could. Yeah, but, but now everyone has the same flow of knowledge. Now LSV has all the same flow of knowledge, and every competitor he plays at the Pro Tour is playing a good deck. Like, not, not all of them, but us, 
enormous marginal numbers playing very good decks and have like all these sideboard guides from pros and stuff like that, that his competition is much better. It's just like you can't compare Wayne Gretzky to Sidney Crosby because goalies didn't do the butterfly back then, so you can't all the data is useless. But but to be to be fair, LSV doesn't have like a dominance. LSV is good. And and I think that LSV is is obviously very good. That's not that's not what we're arguing. But I think like the, the difference between like the way Kai just had controlled the Pro Tour is is so different if it's like if skill level's relative, right? So so to me, it it's like the gap for Kai back then. And, and the average player is like so drastically high that I, I don't even think LSV is that drastically different, right? Like it, it's just like yeah, the, it's close. We, we totally agree on this. And this is one of my major points on why it's like super hard to compare and why perhaps like you could argue against Kai for these kind of things. I understand like the gap is so high. That's why he was so dominant. Do I think Kai versus average player is more, he was more dominant than absolutely without a doubt. But I think, be, like, I just, I think as a player, I think that these players could be better. As time goes on, people are supposed to get better. Just makes sense. People understand game theory more. People understand everything more. Uh, I think, like, I, I agree with you. In theory, that's supposed to work. But also, the 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 way Magic was played slightly after Kai, like, started dropping off was, like, a lot of people left the game to go play poker to go like I think Kai worked at um it's that sports betting company that a lot of like I think Chion worked there too. Um he he stopped playing Magic for a bit and came back and like hasn't really done anything since. Um I think that's why a lot of people like don't notice who Kai is or don't really understand like what he's about because he took that long break, right? He's not playing as much. I think um LSV took a different approach to magic and just didn't stop playing. Um, but like for him to have 10 top eights over that period of time, if, if he's the goat, he should have more. And I, I think it's just still insane to not put Kai at number one and Finkel at number two. Uh, just cause like, uh, to me, they're, they're just far and away. Like those are set in stone. Like maybe the Nassif Alice v Paulo argument is close, um, but I think those two are number one and two for sure. Yeah, I feel like what's happening is that you're like, which is a totally reasonable way to argue it, is you're stuck in the like comparing them in their era, and I'm trying to like work around that, which is obviously way more hypothetical and like less solid. Do I think Kai was better in his era compared to even the second best, third best, fourth best than uh, LSV? Of course, it's not even close. So, like, you could argue that for all those reasons that, yeah, he should be the best of all time. But I just think that it's possible that, that he's not based because of the average player being so much better and the competition being so much better and the LSV and, and Finkel still dominating despite... I, uh, I think that it's so hard to quantify how good the average player is and then and how, like, what the actual gap is that you sort of have to eliminate that or, like, take it as, like, a very relative rate where, like, they're they're almost comparative. 
um, with the information age and the non-information age. And to me, like just looking at the numbers uh, is really what sells it for me. Um, like obviously Kai hasn't had a top eight in know, 12 years or something. Uh, Pro yeah, Tour yeah. Amsterdam. You could also argue that, like, if Kai peaked in the information age, would he still be as dominant? That's something you'd like to know. Like, that's what I think of, like, when I think of, like, old athletes who, like, didn't have the nutrition, the fitness, like, that LeBron does, where, like, he tracks every single thing he does. And that's why he's, like, an athletic freak of nature at 34 years old. If other people were able to do that kind of thing, would they be even better than him? And I wish we could know. Right. I don't know. I, I still just think it's insane not to put Kai first. Um, I think I think that if Kai really wanted to, he could definitely still top eight a pro tour. Uh, I don't think he's trying, though. Um, Fingal still does it every once in a while, but uh, Fingal's obviously still very good and also just doesn't try very hard. I think LSD's trying and is having results, but he needs a couple more top eights, maybe another win or two to make me think that he's close to number one or two. Um, he's definitely third. Uh, I think Paulo's up there too. I think they're very close. Hmm, I, I didn't know it would be such a sweet topic. Uh, we're going to get to Elliot. Um, top five. I, I just feel, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard. It's like, the argument is making me think of, uh, yeah, it's Kai Michael Jordan. Like, uh, the arguments, uh, Andy, that we listen to, it's like, he never, he ne- it never needed a game seven, man. He just always won. And uh, that's how dominant he was. Uh, what's your controversial top five, Elliot? Look, I'll just come out and say it. We're all thinking it. I've never seen LeBron beat the Monstars. <laughs> Michael Jordan's obviously number one. That was like a good part of my childhood. I remember my two favorite movies when I was a kid was Space Jam and the Mighty Ducks D2. Uh, but in all seriousness, I we were actually talking about this like an hour before we went live, just like uh, Andy and a group of friends and I. Like Kai's not in my top three. Number one is like a toss-up between LSV and Finkel, and it's like so close that I don't want to I kind of don't want to get into it, but I think the LSVs may be edging him out. Uh, and then number three is PV, number four is Finkel, and number five is Nassif. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure on number three, four, and five there. Because, like, what Derek just described of if LSV gets another top eight or two and maybe another win, that's just PV's career. PV has 12 top eights and two wins. That's LSV's career plus two top eights plus a win. So I, I don't know how you can make the distinction of LSV is not even close to Kai unless you add on these statistics when there's a player out there that has those statistics. Yeah, I forgot about that. Paul is probably better than LSV then. I think that all of the points that Derek made about Kai dominating outside of the information era as a benefit to Kai is actually a detriment. Because my understanding, and, and I could be off base about this, but from what I've read of people talking that that played during that era is that we were that kai's era was right in between when finkel stopped playing and when teams like channel channel fireball like the super team kind of idea cropped up and what i've been told and what i've read is that kai and his and the german team were actually just the first super team 
they were the ones that met up for weeks before Pro Tours, testing the format, getting every single deck, playing everything, and tuning decks. And that's why they were going into Pro Tours with these huge deck advantages. They were showing up and just mopping the floor with people who, who didn't have the information, who were playing against people just at their local store and, and didn't know everything that could be done in the format. And obviously, Kai is still exceptional, exceptional given this, because there's a reason his teammates weren't winning all the Pro Tours and he was. So obviously, Kai is a fantastic player. And I think that you're doing yourself like sort of a great disservice to think that placing him at number four all time means that you're poo-pooing on his career, because obviously it's still fantastic. It's, it's beyond expectation to win as many Pro Tours as he did in such a short amount of time. And I think that it's really telling that, you know, we saw Finkel top eight a Pro Tour a couple of years ago. We see him doing consistently well. We saw LSV top eight three Pro Tours in a row a few years ago, and he's still doing really well. He top eighted two in a row again. And I think that, you know, we're not seeing the same level of dominance that Kai had then now, but, you know, you could make an argument for Finkel winning like back-to-back Pro Tours that had a couple hundred players or just over a hundred players to LSV top eighting back-to-back 500 player Pro Tours as similar levels of dominance. And I mean, that's, that's what I think is the case for LSV being the best player of all time. You know, whether he's better than or tied with Finkel, I think it's very close. I think Finkel's proven to have the longevity of his career, uh, specifically when Magic is sort of on the back burner for him. That, to me, means he could still be the best of all time, the greatest of all time. Um, but for the same reason that people sort of discredit people like PV and LSV to recency bias, which I think is fair. Recency bias is definitely something that exists. People are sort of have like a nostalgia bias of, oh, well, they can't be better than Kai because Kai was crushing everyone years and years and years ago. And and Kai was way better than everyone back then. And it's not really fair to have LSV be ahead of him now. But, but really, you're just doing yourself a disservice on both sides about recency bias and sort of like nostalgia bias. I think that, you know, all these players are very, very good. And I think that Finkel's just, or sorry, that, that Kai's just a little worse than LSV, PV, and, and Finkel. Well, like what, what you said about Kai was one of the points I made was they, they were revolutionizing the way people were playing Pro Tours. And which is why they were so dominant, which is why I think that he's like the gap between him and your average player. Like so many people learned from him. So many people learned from their team dominating the game. If it wasn't for them, it's arguable that the game could have continued without this sort of super team information age. They attacked the game differently than had been seen before outside of the box and they were making results. So not only were they hitting the mark with these deck lists and planning better and playing better, they were winning still. So like to me that that's just so you don't see that anymore. You haven't you won't see that again probably. You won't see people win back-to-back Pro Tours, or you won't see people top eight a, a million Pro Tours in a row, other than like LSB, who's already in the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, Kai and his team during this period were just so far and away better than everybody else that, that it's, it's, it's almost insulting to not say that they're, in, they're the, the best, right? Because they, they broke the game. They, they revolutionized the way we play Magic. 
see, I'm I'm sort of approaching it from the other side of the spectrum, where the fact that they had such an inf- information advantage over his opponents is is not necessarily a detractor for him. Obviously, it's a a great achievement for him to have, you know, de- deduced this way to get the advantage, right? To have figured out that hey, guys, if we meet up and and just play everything, we're going to be able to crush people. And you know, the fact that it went on for four or five years and he was still having amazing results shows that. You know, maybe either people didn't catch on, or or he was just the best at it. But I think that if you were like a time traveler and had just the best deck at all of these pro tours 15 years ago, you would have exceptional results, even if you're sort of a middling player now. And I think that that's not true of any of the recent pro tours. I think that you know we 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 look back to like formats that are a little more solved you know you look at pro tour fate or forge that was modern and how that was like the the uh the coming out of amulet bloom uh, justin cohen top eight of the pro tour and sam black had an amazing result with amulet bloom at that pro tour and the deck was iterated on for a few months after that before eventually getting banned and i think if you take like the final permutation of amulet bloom before it got banned and show up to that pro tour you have no guarantees and the same thing could be said for any of the standard formats where the Pro Tour is still relatively early in the format. You look at Steve Rubin, who won with Green White Tokens. That deck changed tra- dramatically from when he won the Pro Tour to the end of the format when it rotated, and was consistently the best deck during that format. But taking the final iteration of the deck, or even you know, the most tuned version, if, it, if you think that a certain par- at a certain point it becomes like inbred based on the evolution of the meta, and take it to that Pro Tour, you don't have a huge edge. And it's it's just you could take Autumn Burchett's winning deck again. You don't have a huge ha- edge in the meta this guy, this time. And just point after point, it happens. It happens where the Pro Tour is just even though the decks are so iterated on, you don't get a huge advantage over having this deck that's just a little bit more tuned than everyone. Versus right. then you could take. Kai's winning deck and probably have a good result. You could take Kai's winning deck, iterate it on through the rest of the format, and have a very good result. And I, I don't think that's the case now. And I think that the fact that they had all this extra information is is both a point to but, Kai for getting it, and also a detractor where you know he's not that much better at playing the game than everyone compared to people like LSV and Finkel. But but like. It's not like they just stumbled across this information. They put in time, they put in effort, they they put in like the reason why this is so amazing and you're talking about not getting edges and the reason you don't get edges is because people aren't putting in the time and the effort. These guys were deciding that I wanted to be good. I wanted to win these events and they were, you know? And that like that's that's what I mean like it's it's such a huge difference in gap in skill and in in those old ages and the ages now that like for you to just say that there's no information these guys were just harvesting their own information first that's a negative because there's it made such a large gap it's like how can that be a negative when that was the reason they were winning they they decided that they wanted to be the best and they were and they showed it nobody else was putting in the time nobody else was putting in the effort and it's not like everybody was accidentally bad at magic. It's just these guys were figuring out the way to be the best consistently. So, I mean, if, if that's the case where you're giving extra points for just discovering all of this information, then, you know, where's, 
where's his teammates like uh in the phoenix foundation where are they in your are they in your top 10 are these like players that haven't had necessarily stellar careers man necessarily don't have hall of fame careers like are these are his testing partners like also in the discussion for top 10 of all time even though they have this is my clients this is why i I understand that but like i'm i'm i think that you're like dissociating greatest of all time and fourth best of all time as like a huge gap where the fourth best of all time is like peanuts compared to lsv or finkel or someone who's the best of all time no i just think that like for 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 you to look at 10 pro tour top eight seven wins in such a short period of time it and say it's fourth best is a little insulting um and like pv has 12 top eights two wins lsv is 10 top eight one win uh i think and to me like that's still just not close to the same over twice as much time i guess like uh i think it, i think it's very obvious that kai is number one and finkel's number two and then like paulo and lsv are three just because like kai was breaking the mold and nobody's caught up to him really in in since he's been doing it and that's why he's still number one do you think that wins actually matters i think do you, th- do you think that a top eight is like significantly worth less than a win i think on average your top eight like the three rounds in top eight are the most difficult rounds you'll play in the entire event um and so like like, I, la- like last pro tour lsv most four in the finals game game five so he's that's just like a wash for him like the top eight doesn't really matter because he didn't win um I mean, the him winning and him coming second is like marginal, right? But so, how many second place finishes does LSV have? I, I don't know, but he didn't win. Is what I'm saying. So, like a a win versus second place is marginal. If, but if you're, if he didn't win, so the second place is marginal. I'm just saying that the top eight is a top eight. You no, you no, play it's not, man. 16 rounds of a tournament, and you reach the top eight. And we then, like, getting unlucky Autumn, in one match. How Autumn played great all through top eight. Not that their opponents definitely played worse, but Autumn played great. And LSV got lucky to top eight those events. And if you just throw a variance thing in there and just say, oh, there's variance in magic, the difference between first and second doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because variance is, a, is the same across... Uh, all stages it's the same for everybody right so it's not like you can just say lsv got unlucky and lost the finals sure like that's marginal but like variance is the same like maybe maybe kai got lucky and won a finals maybe kai got lucky and lost the finals whatever right the the margins are the same but it's not like six to seven or even five to seven it's one to seven and they have the same amount of top eights and kai won two back to back man like the difference is is astronomical. Even even if you say like even if you give LSV the last one, it's still only two out of ten. So Kai winning like six more matches than LSV makes him head head above him best player in the world. Yeah, six, six more matches. Okay. 
if you have six more match wins at your first PT, it's arguable that you just like top eight a PT, right? <laughs> it's six. It's six matches across fifty pro tours. It, it's 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 insane to me that that you think that those are the same thing, and they're they're just not they're not comparable. <laughs> All right, we're, we're gonna move on. This is <laughs> this is a great topic, and I'm sure we'll we will revisit it uh, at the next. Big uh, top eight and next mythic championship or or any other further ones. Um, right now we are in the, in the final hours of uh, the the whole mythic top eight run here. We we have some of our friends buying from some spots, and we have people updating on Twitter. We have Andre Strasky who said, I think he tweeted that he was number four at one point. Uh, our man Daniel Fournier says, oh, just tweeted 12 minutes ago, I've never had less fun playing Magic than I have right now, trying to play for this ladder top eight. Please never do this to us again. Um, I think when we heard the announcement, we, we knew, and that's why I guess all of us, and especially Derek, has, has decided not to grind for that spot because of how hard it is. How, how, how just insane it is. You have to... to uh, not only get there, but maintain. I mean, uh, just just a few days ago, Fournier was 20th, 17th. Can't imagine what he is now. Uh, I think Alex, when I was watching him stream, he was like uh, Alex Hain, 200 and something. Uh, my other friend streamer, Travis Sauer, Semulin, he was number 140, and he decided today to stream with no chat because he wanted to focus all his energy to try to make it a top eight. I don't think, I mean, it's going to be hard for anyone to, to, to get there and keep their spot. And um, I guess conclusion is that uh, they probably shouldn't ever do this again. Um, those are your thoughts, uh, Derek? Uh, yeah, they did this with Hearthstone, right? It was it's stupid. And like you said, I just decided I don't want to do it. It's, it's, uh, it's weird because like people are chasing internet clout to try to achieve this. I saw people like posting at number fifty, people posting at like below fifty. Like, should I grind today? It's like if you weren't going to grind before, you're not going to make it. Uh, there, Strasky was at four, Fournier was at seventeen. If you lose, if you lose one of those, you go to like thirtieth, and you have to win like some unreal number, like fifteen matches to get back to where you were, right? Just because like it's so tight, it's just like not worth it. You can't. You can't sit down and focus and avoid variance for that amount of time and not go a little insane. Like, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I, I actually think it will have a negative effect on your mental health if you try to like do that for so long and like the, the, the setbacks will have such a bad effect on you that I just don't think it's worth it. Um, obviously wizards won't like, it's hard, it's hard to value it like that. You know, they're just trying to get people to play, um, trying to show streamers grinding for these top eight. So I don't know. Uh, as far as we know, this is this event that is qualifying for, we don't know a lot about it still. We don't know how many there's going to be more. Uh, if there, I, I don't know if they announced that there were going to be more, we don't know exactly how the mythic points work yet or whatever, right? So to me, 
I don't know. I don't know if they'll keep doing it. Uh, I don't know if they'll find a better way to do it. Um, I think they announced that they're going to like have a PTQ style event for top of thousand mythic. Yeah, I think that's their their new thing. So if you're top a thousand mythic, you get to play in a, this like mythic weekend event or something like that, where it's a two day event. Where the first day, I think you just play to seven wins or three losses, whatever happens first. And if you get to seven wins, you get to play in the second day. And then after that day, the top sixteen all get to go to the the mythic the arena mythic championship, which is worth a lot of money per seat. Yeah. As somebody who's qualified for the mocks, that seat is worth a little bit more than my mocks invite, I think. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of frustrating because you just want to tell people don't do it. Because, like, obviously it's not good, but then they, they, you're not going to stop people from doing it, right? So, I don't know. I look forward to next season. I don't know when it starts. It starts in March. Or if anybody knows, I, I don't know. I yeah, might it it does that. start in March, yeah. So like top 100 gets invited. 1,000. Top 1,000, sorry, gets invited in April? Yep, Is I it? think so. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll Google this. Yeah, I, I agree with you, though, on like the, the top 8 thing just being really a toxic thing. like you can get so upset with yourself, but like, feel like you have to keep going. And then you're just like, you start feeling sad. You're just like, you lose three matches in a row. And all of a sudden you're like four hours away from getting back to where you were. And it is demoralizing. And I couldn't imagine doing it. I wouldn't even consider doing it. Even if I had all the free time in the world, I'm not sure I would do it because of like recommendations from friends being like, it is bad for your mental health. There are other people who are going to try harder, play more and that kind of, and that are probably better than you. And it's just not, it can't be worth the, the time invested. I was playing last season. Uh, I think I got up to mythic three in like, must've been like the third week of January or something. And I saw um bowl zero. I can't remember his, his real name. Um, Tiago Saparito? Yeah, he was first. And he tweeted. And then, so I get paired against him and I lose and I stay at three. I get paired against somebody else. And this is before they had their number on the screen. And I lost. And I went to seventh. I lost again. I went to 15th. I lost again. I went to 55 or something. And it was like, wow, this is not worth it. And then I, I'm like, okay, like let's, let's try to get top 10. I, win a couple, win a couple, get to like 28th, lose. I was at like 70. It's like, okay, I, I'm not doing this anymore. And then I stopped playing. And in the like week that I stopped playing, I somehow jumped outside of top a thousand in mythic. Cause I got the email and it said you were in like the, the 99th percent. And I was like, okay, there's no way that I'm going to grind this month. Cause you just can't do it. It's not possible. I mean, Eight people for eight people, it's possible, but it might be a little random. Yeah, I, and the the announcements, like I don't even know what to make of them yet. I mean, there's a lot. I'm 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 thinking about they talked about how old style 
Uh, we mentioned also how PTQs might be back, and uh, we had talked with uh, in our chat with J- Jonathan Zhang and and how you know he never experienced old style PTQs, and uh, we talked about how brutal they are because it's it's basically winner takes all, especially if um, in the past some stores or some organizers just had pretty crappy prize pool, and and uh, it, it was the case for PPTQs as well. Some some stores just had really really bad prize pool. Um, and all you wanted was was a spot at the PT or or the RPTQ. And uh, on the plus side, I you know I have fond memories of these being events. I mean, only reason I I know Derek, only reason I know Andy, um, is because of the PTQ grind at the time. So I don't know. I don't know if I yeah I don't know what to think of it. And the same reason why I like Nationals, just because it's it was a place to, to meet people, but um, I could see why they they decided to to take that away. Um, but for now, I don't even know what my like if I were to decide to grind back, I don't even know what my best path would be. Like um, Derek, for for you, like to to continually get on the PT. What what's your path? Uh. Uh, maybe spike a couple more PTQs, try to do well at the Pro Tour. Uh, I don't know. It, uh, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> before, like, you could probably get lucky at a Grand Prix or something. Maybe pick up some points here or there. Uh, like, Edgar stumbled into gold, sort of, and so did Morgan. Like, obviously, they were trying, but I remember Edgar won a Moto PTQ. And then top eight at a Grand Prix, and then strung a couple PT invites, and then won a Grand Prix. And there's like, it's just sort of happened, right? Most people just don't, aren't like, okay, I need three points here, three points here at this PT, I have to get five points. You know, it's not like a, a plan. You just go to these events and hope to do well. So, like, I, I'm going to keep playing these high level events because that's what I like to do. But the plan is never to really, I need to hit this pro tour, I need to string these together to do well right sort of like well if it happens it happens i'm here anyways andy is the best play just to play ptqs at these magic fests (laughs) Uh, i actually think if your goal is to like just qualify for the pro tour it's probably just not close just play the ptqs (laughs) i I genuinely think so i think like top eighting a gp is hard i've certainly never done it and uh i have I've won like two old style PTQ esque type things, or I've, I guess only won one, one a WMCQ, and I won like the Sunday Super Series, which is like a large, basically it was a PTQ, and those they they seem simpler, especially when like the recipe is just pretty simple at GPS. You just go five zero, you top eight, you got three more to go, eight zero go. <laughs> I uh, I actually had this conversation with Rob. Before he won his GP, because we were talking about, because they, they had moved from the old school PTQs to the pre-TQ, RPTQ style. And we, we basically thought that to win a pre-TQ was probably pretty easy. But to spike like a, an eight round, seven round event, sometimes you just get very out. You don't always have time to grind these things. You might just not always make it. And then the RPTQ you go to are just going to be full of good players. So it's probably pretty difficult to do. 
we decided that it might actually be easier to top eight a Grand Prix on average than to win an RPTQ. And then he went and won a Grand Prix. Uh, so like I'm, I'm under the belief that top eighting a Grand Prix is easy. Um, and I actually think that like it's that or spike a PTQ at the sun at the Sunday thing is probably the easiest way to do it. Uh, especially since like less good players are playing Grand Prix now, right? Like you could probably spike a local Grand Prix pretty easily. A lot of people have done that because that's how they qualify. Not many people are like spiking PTQs, you know, like uh, people who are winning PTQs are normally like PTQ grinders. They're not just randos who, who entered or, you know what I mean? So. Right. I think uh, that does it for, for uh, the show this week. And uh, there's, oh man, there's a lot of events this, this upcoming weekend for that face face is part of. There's the facefacegames.com Charlottetown Open. I think it's our very first tournament in Prince Edward Island. Um, so, you know, always get to, to go to these places, even though we don't expect uh, attendance to be as insane as Toronto. Uh, or or Alberta, but uh, our goal is to help grow magic, help competitive magic uh, have have life in in every part of Canada. So it's going to be exciting to go there. And and if we get over a hundred people, I'll be I'll be ecstatic. And then of course there's uh, Magic Fest, I believe LA um, this upcoming weekend. So tons of magic uh, to look forward to. And uh, yeah, support the show, like subscribe. Uh, download us on your favorite podcast app. Support us by Patreon, patreon.com slash first strike. And uh, yeah, sooner or later, we'll probably be rolling out some guides for some of the new standard decks. If you have any requests for us, let us know. Um, and and you know, John is, is still in the lab trying to break um, some, some spicy brews, actually. He's, he's showing me some deck lists, and we'll see if those actually pan out to be anything. Um, any, any last uh, words for you guys before we go? Nope? Okay. We'll see you next week. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in.